You need to have transparency at an organizational level. If you are putting your your money in an idea that kind of aligns with what you, you believe in, then you are supporting your cause in one way or another. What is up, People First Leaders? My name is Chris Lin, and I am your advocate and host on the Leading People First podcast, where we are set to transform the workplace. Before we start, I wanted to let you know that we are now on YouTube, where we are exploring the latest news and seeing how everything that's going on in the world affects the employee experience. Click on the link in the show notes or just search Leading People First on YouTube to subscribe and watch. The world is getting smaller as access to information gets easier and more readily available. This makes it even more important for leaders to understand what their values are and how to be prepared to take a stance on it. Even more importantly is to have these values be reflective of humanity and hopefully in a way that leads people first. I got a chance to talk with Jennifer Thompson, an executive manager and public relations professional focused on aligning organizational action with their values. Let's check the mic and dive in. Today, I am very pleased to be joined by Jennifer Thompson, who can be best described by Brandon Huang, who said, what I love about Jen's leadership is her attentiveness to the needs of those under her. She puts 110% into making sure both her clients and team have every possible resource and advantage she can provide, often going out of her way and into her own personal time to make sure everyone else's needs are met. She's the peak of professionalism and never asks anyone to do something she wouldn't do herself or to put in more effort than her own. Welcome to the Leading People First podcast, Jennifer. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Well, let's jump into it. Last year, you learned how to craft coffee as a hobby to grow professionally. I'm a huge coffee lover as well. First, what is your go-to coffee drink? And second, what are you learning to do in order to grow this year? Yeah, absolutely. So actually I love green coffee extracts and I drink it with lemonade and it's just like a little caffeinated lemonade. Um, I don't know. It's real good in the summer. I live in Texas. It's hot all the time. So that's kind of my go-to. But if I'm drinking an actual brew, I'm drinking dark with a little bit of cream. (laughs) What am I learning? Okay. So right now I'm working on my master's degree. So it's been a lot of learning. Um, I'm taking an expedited program. So it's been a lot of learning times 10. (laughs) Um, But other than that, I'm reading as much as I can watching TED talks, as well as kind of delving deep into documentaries this year, um, really trying to expand my own perspectives, my own understandings, my own cultural knowledge. That does not surprise me whatsoever that you're really focusing on expanding that uh, awareness and cultural knowledge because you grew up with an interest in human interaction and how we create meaning in our lives. You ended up with a degree in communication studies. You're currently studying anthropology. And like you said, you're getting your master's in organizational public relations. Um, So what were the major events in your life that really taught you how to lead people first? Really, once I was in my undergraduate experience, I was accepted into the Cormier Honors College. And within that, one of the classes I was able to go um, and be part of was this leadership course. And so once a week, I would meet with other people and we would talk about different initiatives we wanted to start in the community, um, volunteer, put together different initiatives. So really, that was kind of my first um, delve into it. 
I really, once I graduated from my undergraduate, I worked in career services for a few years. Um, and I really tried to develop others professionally, personally. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, I felt like I was a therapist because anyone would come in and, and you know, tell me about their life and tell me what was going on with, with um, you know, their careers and their successes and really just kind of sharing in people's successes and, and being there for them in their failures and developing these people. That's really where I have developed, you know, um, my, my outlook and my perspectives of leadership. Awesome. You know, so then let's dive into what it means to you then to lead people first. So to me, leading with a people first mindset is leading with compassion and empathy. Um, Really, you can't be in everyone's shoes. You can't understand or know everyone. Um, You know, everyone's had different experiences. We all have different perspectives. We've all gone down different paths. And so your reality is different than my reality. And the only way we can get past this or work to kind of find some sort of commonality is through compassion and empathy. Try to understand, try to listen, try to really focus on other people's perspectives and where they are coming from. Because just because you may say, oh, this is my perspective, this is the way that I've been raised, this is the the thing that I believe. It doesn't necessarily mean other people are wrong. They just have different experiences than your own. And really the only way that other people can connect is dropping your own understandings, those own um, personal biases and leading with compassion and empathy. One area I'm finding leaders beginning to learn more about is cultural competency. This notion that you talk about around compassion and empathy has to do a lot with EQ, right? And, you know, we've really heard a lot about EQ in the last 30, 40 years, and it's really gaining a lot more steam. I'm personally finding in the last like five years, maybe. Yeah. And so you, again, you've talked about cultural competency as CQ, right? Right. A cultural quotient similar to Mm -hmm. IQ and EQ. And -hmm. when you've talked about CQ, you've talked about some of these tenants to having, you know, a higher CQ thing that seem like when I was hearing them are more basic human decency values. Why do you think we're needing to go back to these basic values, like respecting cultural differences, being curious about cultural norms and avoiding stereotyping or, and broad generalizations? Like why, why have we forgotten those and why do we need to go back to them? Yeah, absolutely. So within the large cultural sphere, there are different levels and scales of major cultures. So for example, example, Western culture, you know, you've got Australian culture, you've got, you know, these different smaller sub niche societies. And so on these, this graph that measures these societies, we have different levels of um, individualism or collectivism. And within Western societies, um, and I'm not saying it's bad, I'm just saying this is something to acknowledge, um, particularly with the the economic systems we have in place, um, it's very self-centered, it's very self-focused. I want it, I want to buy it, I want it now, I deserve it, I've worked really hard, um, you know, and it's back to that individualism. So I think that through this idea and this principle and um, prosperity over the years that little by little through the media, through um, 
you know, the movies that we watch, through the video games that we play, through different facets of our lives, we have come to expect, I want it now, I want it my way, and I'm going to leave out any other voice that I don't want to hear. I can tailor it specifically to my interests and my my specific voice. Um, so I think that really get, we need to learn how to listen to other people's perspectives again. And instead of just saying, nope, 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 and putting our hand out and saying that's not something we want to listen to, we need to be able to take in the information, process it, and then use that EQ, use that emotional intelligence to respond appropriately, even if we negatively agree. That is a key, key lesson for a lot of leaders, I think, that they need to learn. You know, having more recently joined the workforce and still being in, uh, you know, you're in a master's program now, what has been the biggest surprise to you as you've joined the, the workforce around leadership? You know, what was something that you maybe used to believe was a good leader? And now that you've, you're working and that you've done studies around this, what yeah. is it that, um, what has shocked you the most? Yeah. So, um, definitely one thing that's kind of a touchy subject for a lot of people, and I'm sure this is coming to light more nowadays, but really the boys club. Um, I was in a position where I was a manager in my own right. And there was very much a men's only managerial club. You know, I was a manager that was left out of a manager's meeting essentially. Um, and you know, when I went to someone who had trained me, who was my confidant, who was another manager who I was really close with, you know, he said, Oh, you don't want to be in those meetings. They're boring, you know, kind of just disheveled the, the fact that I wanted to, to participate in this meeting. Um, and really that was to me shocking because I grew up around, um, you know, I have a brother and I have, uh, I'm very young compared to everyone else in my family. So interacting professionally was never uncomfortable for me um, until I really felt this kind of exclusive um, leadership mentality, um, you know, and I just saw them as, okay, you're a leader. We're here to work together for the benefit of this organization to make sure that operations are running smoothly and that can't happen if you're closing doors for specific key managers to put in their input. Yeah. So where do you find the intersection between individualism that we talked about earlier yeah. and needing to think about others and this idea around exclusion and needing to get rid of the boys club? So definitely um, as far as individualism, I think that if we consider everyone as individuals and the fact that no one is, is the same, and in order for us to find that commonality, we have to learn about other people. We have to communicate one-on-one -on -one with them. Um, and I really personally prefer as a, at a leadership level, communicating with people one-on-one -on -one because you put them more at ease, first off. And second off, you're able to glean those little quirks and those little personal tidbits about people that can help you to interact better with them in the future or to make your cultural climate for your organization reflect the values and the culture of the people that are working there, if that makes sense. Yeah, I love that. Well, I mean, it, it kind of goes to what you've talked about before um, in, other, in another interview around human orientation. And um, I found that fascinating, and especially for the United States, how we are rated as a society. And I found that this metric is almost like a good indicator of 
these people first values, right? So first, can you explain to those who are listening what human orientation is? And second, how do you see that being applied into organizations themselves? Yeah, so hum, um, it's humane orientation, I believe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry, humane um, orientation. No worries, no worries. So humane orientation really is just, again, like we were talking about um, earlier, another one of those graphs or levels to measure different societies. Um, and America's actually rated pretty low on the chart overall. You would think as a major, you know, country has a lot of money, we would, you know, have a lot of consideration for the people that, um, you know, may need a little extra in society. Now, the countries that rate really well are, you know, typically your Canada, um, your Scandinavian countries, so you've got Switzerland and Finland. And those countries, you'll see that they have a lot of different programs for, um, for instance, in Finland, there's um, women and men are required to take uh, leave if a baby's born. They also, the government sends you um, a crib, diapers, all of the things that you will need for the baby's first, I think it's three months of, of the baby's life. So it's all of these things that have not necessarily created ability for life or, or habitat for life or um, quality of life. That's the word I'm looking for. It's not necessarily a quality of life. It's more of a how much we care about the individuals within the community, whether that's at a society large level or whether that's from the community out on a more personal level. I really love that. Um, and I love that example because I could see you know, while we don't have those, uh, I'm blanking on the term here, but, you know, on, on a national programs. level, pro those yeah, national yeah. programs or even state programs, I could very easily see companies doing something like that to really show how much they care about their employees, right? And we see a little bit of it here and there, right? Where, where we say, you know, one company having a very robust, like, medical uh, program or parental leave program or, you know, employee health, assistance program, something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's about like tying it all together and saying, okay, like, you know, how do these programs reflect the values of our organization and how we expect, you know, just kind of human, the basic human life, how, how do we value basic human life and turning that into like, how do we value our own employees' lives? Because we know it as a company, if we value our employees' lives as a whole, uh, then they will come back and be loyal or like be more productive and more engaged. So I think that, that that's a great call out as well. Absolutely. And I honestly think that's a really great transition into, um, you know, what H&M and Nike is doing and Burberry is doing right now. Yeah, I, yeah, I know that um, that's something that we wanted to talk about for sure. And the importance of carrying through, right, your culture and values as a business all the way down the supply chain and being consistent in all of your business practices, because we know that good business practices are necessary. And I should say ethical business practices are necessary um, all the way down your supply chain, especially as younger generations and uh, our are very conscious of sustainability and ethical practices and just the rise of internetness, um, showing, being very transparent and showing, you know, when companies are doing something that is not necessarily ethical or right, especially around human rights. So I know you wanted to talk about that. So can you share kind of what is happening with human rights in certain areas of the, uh, of the world and what companies 
are being affected by this. Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of one of the main pillars of public relations um, in kind of the modern context is not only do you need to have transparency at an organizational level, but also you need to put your money where your mouth is because your audience is no longer just seeing copy from you from those specific channels that you are determining. They're now seeing news broadcasts. They have endless information on um, the internet at their fingertips. So really now, like you said, there's more of a focus from going to just having transparency to having, you know, ethical practices. And I think, honestly, that's a positive reaction to all of this, because if you are putting your your money where you believe or um, in, in an idea that kind of aligns with what you you believe in, then you are supporting your cause in one way or another. If you don't care about where your money goes, then you're just supporting big corporations or whatever, you know, the means to the end that you necessarily don't know about. Now, one area where this has kind of come to light is with H&M, Nike and Burberry. There's been a couple other country or um, companies, but those are the major ones. Now in the Xinjiang, re- Xinjiang region of China, Um, It's their southern region. They did find out that, um, and this has come to light from multiple countries, this has come to light from different news organizations, um, that there are human rights abuses between both Falun Gong practitioners, also called Falun Dafa practitioners, um, as well as the um, Uyghur Muslims. They are doing forced organ harvesting, as well as forced labor um, with cotton in that region. So what came to light was um, there are several different um, politicians as well as celebrities that have come out on Twitter, on Facebook that have said, hey, we won't support um, H&M, Nike, Burberry if they continue to get their cotton from these regions. Um, And H&M immediately turned around and said, hey, we've been trying to be more sustainable that also follows in suit with our human rights beliefs. Um, so they, they had really great PR practices right there. They were able to switch, switch the mode. Um, and these other com- companies are saying, we are no longer going to support uh, cotton from these areas unless we can get proof that there's no longer forced uh, labor practices going on. And um, as a result of these statements from H&M, Nike and Burberry, um, there's a lot of people in China that are burning these H&M, Nike and Burberry products. So it's really been kind of a back and forth um, between these organizations. uh, And now, like I said, even politicians are trying to bring about change through recognition of what is going on. Yeah. As you were, you know, as you were saying this, I was like, you know what, I'm very curious what Nike's values are. Um, And one of their values is social and community impacts. And on their website, (laughs) I'm looking at it right now. It says the world is our community. And again, as companies, as leaders within organizations, you need to be very cognizant of what is happening within the business practices down the line, right? As you're implementing different practices or whatever it is, um, you, we need to be more people first centric moving forward. And that, yes, there is, I, I understand that, um, the reason a lot of these 
global organizations moved to China, moved to India was from a cost standpoint, but that is no longer enough. And it never was enough. You were always right. thinking about bottom line, but you weren't thinking about the human impact it, it was having on the individuals in those regions. And so that is why now more than ever, we have to be people first centered and really put, uh, really put our practices and our values ahead of everything and into every decision that we make. Absolutely. It definitely requires a vigilance. And one point that I like to bring up for, you know, leaders of different organizations is look at your own personal code of ethics. You know, this is, this is something that should be looked at every year with your board of directors or, you know, the decision makers. And you should determine with the social, political, economic climates, do these values that we have put out still hold true um, or do they need to be changed? And another point I want to make as a public relations professional, you know, one of the parts that typically creates these value um, identifiers for organizations and writes them out and publicizes them, um, professionals and practitioners like myself utilize other professional organizations such as the Public Relations Society of America, as well as the Society of Professional Journalists to create, adapt, and use kind of as a starter for these codes of ethics for these organizations. And again, they haven't, a lot of times they haven't been changed in years and years and years. And one thing that I'd like, you know, for others to know is that these codes of ethics themselves, they leave out the cultural element. Yes, they say transparency. Yes, they say do no harm. Yes, they say all of these wonderful things. But The Society of Professional Journalists Code of Ethics hasn't been changed since 2014. The um, Public Relations Society uh, of America is a 2020 version. And all of these different codes of ethics that these major organizations are using as um, fodder to create their own are outdated and miss the mark of accepting cultures and accepting other perspectives from the start. That just highlights the importance of inclusion of right of diversity as you make these decisions. And so um, what would you recommend then as leaders, if they were to say, hey, let's, yes, let's do a yearly review of our code of ethics. Let's do a yearly review of our values to see, did we hold true to our values last year? Are these the values that we still that are still going to drive our behaviors tomorrow, next year, in five, 10 years? Um, what would you recommend then if they are doing that and taking that work upon them? How would you tell those leaders in those companies to say, okay, you need to be more inclusive? What should they do next? Strategic communication best practices around this element relate specifically to having stances, creating stances and having stances for your organization. You say A, B, and C are the most important to us and we will curate every single other communication internally and externally based on those values. And really, if you do that, if you break it down into that most simplest framework of these are my three values or this is my value box, Everything else, you can either say, does it align with the stance or does it not align with the stance? And from there, you're able to, um, you know, really 
move forward with effective communication internally and externally that aligns with the organization. Now, if one of your beliefs organizationally is that you want to be inclusive of everyone, then send out a survey, get opinions from lower managers, ask them what they think about the code of ethics. Does the code of ethics reflect a different culture than what they actually have at the organization or not? And these are things that getting the feedback, having that that conversation, um, if that's important to your organization, um, is is the other avenue. So having a stance or communicating with others, getting feedback and adapting based on that feedback. Those are two different paths. As you're saying that, um, I'm very much reminded of the article that I just read about Ben and Jerry and how they are able to mobilize so, so quickly and come out with messaging in what seems like split seconds when Mm -hmm. things are announced. And as I was reading the article, they were, what you just said was spot on with that article with what they were saying was their PR team very, can very easily come out with statements because they do hold true X, Y, Z. These are these stances that we believe in. If they don't align with it, we can very quickly say we are against whatever is happening. Or if something is positive and they say, we absolutely want to promote this, let's get on board with this. Um, I think that is something, you know, even if you don't necessarily uh, agree with Ben and Jerry's stances, I think it just shows the power of having, yeah, the platform and having these stances developed and solidified ahead of time. So those are fantastic tips. So if your organization is very large, stances, stances are where it's at. That is a very well-known public relations tactics. I could go on for for hours on that one. Uh, But if your organization is more of a close knit, you really care about, you know, your managers and the feedback, and you really want to foster that type of organization. um, And again, smaller organizations, typically, um, that's where you really want to go in and ask people for their specific feedback, because it's those lower level managers and your everyday people that are going to truly know the organization's cultural climate. Yeah. So then what would you tell certain leaders and organizations? I've actually worked for some of these leaders who have said, I don't want to take a stance on anything because I don't want to you know, I don't want my employees or our clients to feel like we sway in one camp or another. They don't want to rock the boat. What would you tell those people? Yeah. So (laughs) there's a couple things I would tell those people. Um, The first is I would remind them of the transparency and the level of um, scrutiny that the public can have. It's dangerous to not have a conversation started. You can be lumped into a category you don't want to be lumped into if you don't have either a stance or some sort of predetermined um, method. And then we can go into crisis management when you don't, you know, you don't have a stance or you don't have something predetermined as these are the values. Um, And we have seen all the time where organizations uh, had, you know, not necessarily the president, but someone in charge has said something has flopped on Twitter or whatever. And the organization said, oh no, these are not our values. We do not share these goals. And and so that's what I'm trying to say is if you don't create a stance and if you don't create some sort of uh, opinion, one will either be created for you 
or you will be you will fail to be relevant in the marketplace because this level of transparency and this level of um, accountability is being required more and more of organizations. Love it. Great, great tips for not even just people first leaders, but for business as a whole. So as we start to wrap up, what is the impact you want to have on those that you lead? So for me, I, as any good public relations practitioner, I really want to leave a call to action to others. Um, I really, I, I would like others to hold organizations accountable for cultural elements of leadership and communication and really hold organizations accountable when they leave out perspectives, misalign with contemporary ethical practices um, and when cultures are not considered. And the, re- the way we can hold these organizations accountable is really one, social media, your voice makes a difference. The second way is put your money where it matters. Take 10 extra minutes to make sure that you are putting your money and backing the organizations, the people, um, and the communities that you want. I love it. Well, you definitely are making an impact. And Jamie Chapman even shared that with me. She said, Jennifer amplifies everything and now leads the career services line of business for Begin Within Careers. The nature of our work requires a special person like Jennifer that leads with integrity and who values people with a hyper-focus on their success above all else. So Jennifer, thank you again so much for coming on the podcast. Where can people connect with you? Absolutely. I'm most active on LinkedIn. I also have a company page. It's Social Sweet Treats LLC on LinkedIn. You can connect with me there or my personal LinkedIn account. I'm connected with Chris, so you can find me again. It's Jennifer Thompson. Awesome. Well, Jennifer, thank you again so much. And we will talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to my conversation with Jennifer Thompson here on the Leading People First podcast. If you like this episode, click subscribe and share it with a fellow People First leader so they can learn the tips and tricks of aligning action with organizational values and the importance of carrying culture all the way through the supply chain. Let's keep this conversation going by telling me what you loved about this episode on YouTube, LinkedIn, or Instagram. Thank you again for tuning in. Keep leading people first and stay awesome. Thank you.